Today with Catherine Ruinala. You see, without hope, without vision, the people perish. And I believe that the hope God wants to give us is not a vain hope, it's not a teasing hope, it's not just comforting words. It's actually an invitation that will keep you on track if you will believe. The Bible also tells us, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. This is the revealed will of God in the Bible. It's the will of heaven. And when Jabez got a hold of what he knew to be the will of God and asked it, he received Seems like such a simple thing, but you see, the promises of God are not inevitabilities, they are invitations requiring a response. And God wants us to respond. So he wants us, I pray this, Lord, that you would bless me indeed, that you would enlarge my territory, enlarge my influence, enlarge my ability to ha get the gospel out all over the world. I pray it over my books, I pray it over the television program, I pray it over my ministry, I pray it over the church, I pray it over my family, I pray it over Tom's business, I pray it, Lord, that you would bless us indeed. I get specific with it and I declare it, I ask for it. And you might think, well, that's very selfish or self-centered. No, it's actually pleasing to the Father. God wants us to start coming into the agreement with the truth of who he is. Lord, that you would bless me indeed. And I'll go through all the areas of my life. Lord, bless me. And not just bless me, bless me indeed. Let your hand be with me. Enlarge my territory. I'm asking him, Lord, let it spread out. When I started praying this in 2011, all of a sudden I started to see such dramatic increase the church network started to grow and grow and grow. The books started to take off. The, the, the opportunity in media just increased and increased and increased. Why? Because God said, yes. I asked, and he said, yes. And you know what else? If you start asking in faith that you believe this is what he wants for you, he's already said yes to you too. Hallelujah. I pray that your hand would be with me. That is, that your favor would be upon me, that your power would make it happen, God. I, my life is in your hands and you are my strong tower. You are my deliverer. You are my great hero. You are the one who makes it happen. You are the God of the impossible. Let your hand be with me, hallelujah. And keep me from evil that I may not cause or experience pain. And I love that Jabez prayed this. But God's heart for us is to grab a hold of the truth of what he wants for us. Some people get a bit upset by this and they, because having seen and experienced pain, having experienced difficult circumstances, they, are, they get caught up with, well, why didn't God tell me about all this bad stuff? It's a, it's a bit like when David was anointed king Samuel called him, set him aside, anointed him. Young man, you are going to be the king of Israel. David's like, wow, that's cool. He didn't tell him 
that Saul's going to try and kill you, that you know, the Philistines are going to try and kill you, everyone's going to turn against you. One, at one stage, even all your own men are going to try and kill you. He didn't mention all the detail of the difficulties. But that's because it was irrelevant. In this world, we'll have trouble. But the Bible says, but take heart, I'll overcome the world. People say, well, what about Job? Well, hey, at the end, Job had double what he had. The middle bit, that's hard. But take heart, he's overcome the world. They were told, all of the Israelites were told, I'm taking you into the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. Ready, let's go. They weren't told about some of the challenges. And then when some of the challenges came, many of them fell into unbelief. And that same promise that was given to all of the Israelites was only inherited by two people, Joshua and Caleb, who through faith and patience inherited the promise. The rest of them, through unbelief, stumbled and fell and missed out on what was promised to them by God. God's not a false prophet. You might say, well, that couldn't have been a real prophecy. It didn't come to pass for them. No, it didn't because they didn't take a hold of it in, in faith and keep hope as their compass. I believe the Holy Spirit right now is wanting to speak to people and tell you, keep hope as your compass. In Psalm 27, David says, I would have lost hope had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Joseph in the prison had a promise from God that he would have lost hope if he didn't believe. In the Psalms, it tells us about Joseph. And it says, while his arms were in fetters and the irons were around his ankles, the pro and he was tested with this promise and the iron entered into his soul. In other words, the promises of God, instead of tormenting them, became so solid and became his compass of hope that brought him through and saw him inherit greater than what he'd even seen. Because God wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask, hope, or imagine. But we must keep as our focus the true north, the hope of God. Those who hope in him, the Bible says, will not be disappointed. The Bible says that he who has promised will also do it. So we, in response, in, in responding to that promise, in order to inherit it and take hold of it, we must say of the Lord the truth, like David said, I will say of the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress. You are my God in whom I will trust. You are the one that is making all things work together for my good. You are the one that is bringing me double recompense for my former shame, pain, and disgrace. You are the one who's making miracles out of my messes. You're the one who's bringing me beauty out of ashes. You're the one that will satisfy me with long life and show me your salvation. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Get excited about it. When it doesn't seem to make any sense circumstantially. Isaiah 54 was spoken to a woman who wasn't even married and was barren. 
Hey, barren woman who's not even married, get really excited. You're gonna have more children than the married woman. Make room, enlarge your tent so you can contain all the children I'm gonna get you. I mean, it seems mean. We'd say face facts. And God says, no, face me. Face facts, come on. No, you've got to be serious here. You know, this isn't going to work. Blah, 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 blah. And God says, what do I say? What's he promised? Because hope in him is the compass, is the true north that God wants us to keep our focus on. I was so impressed as um, we've had the joy of walking with James and Rochelle Graham for quite some time. And when James was, uh, he's, he's been through so many things had heart attacks, he had um, serious end-stage cancer. And yet, all the way through, I'd watch him as we were praying for him, and, I, and we'd go out for dinner, the four of us, and I'd think, are you allowed to eat that? Are you, you know, he's battling cancer. He goes, I could eat this, or I could not eat this, but it doesn't change what God has said. He's told me that with long life, he'll satisfy me and show, show me his salvation. I was like, I don't know that I quite understand you. But God, we had a, a joy. I'm going to ask Pastor James to come up, and I just want him to share just a little bit of the, we went and visited him on Father's Day about five years ago, five years ago. I got a call from James's wife, Rochelle, and she said, can you come to the hospital? It's gotten really serious. Um, I, I'll let you right. take it from there. Um, <laughs> so uh, about uh, eight weeks before I was diagnosed with cancer, I got a prophetic word to say that I would live and not die, Psalm 11817. I would live and not die and declare the, uh, what the Lord had done. I just thought, oh, that sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Because I had no idea. And then I got diagnosed with cancer and... Um, and five doctors were on my team and four of them said, send him home because, you know, he, he may as well just live out his last days at home. One said, I think we should give this guy some kind of a go. So, uh, you know, thank goodness for that. Thank, thank the Lord for that, that person who was being moved to make that decision. And thankfully, he was the lead. But uh, the interesting thing is that God never told me I would get cancer. He just said I would live and not die. So when I got told I was diagnosed, I was like, that's fine. I will live and not die. He didn't tell me I would go through chemotherapy, that I'd go through radiation, some fairly um, painful surgeries, that I would have an ileostomy bag for 18 months, uh, all these sorts. He did, that, that stuff is, is not his concern, and nor is it my concern. That stuff's irrelevant. What is relevant is that I held on to what he said to me. And that's the important thing. It's not what the event itself, it's how you respond. And when the Lord gives you the right response, you grab it and you work with it, you know, and, you, you, um, and that will save you, that will get you on the path. Um, again, before I knew what was going on one day, I was just down there somewhere and I was in worship and the Lord said, we're going to do surgery. And I thought, oh, that sounds amazing. That sounds so cool. All right, let's do surgery, Lord. So then when the doctor said to me, well, we could either do surgery 
or you could, you know, try something else if you want to. Um, I just knew what the Lord wanted. He'd already told me. Now, I didn't know what he was saying when he said, let's do surgery. I thought it was quite exciting. But when it came to the decision point, I knew which way to go. But ultimately, the cover over that was you shall live and not die. So people said to me, oh, well, you know, are you going to go to Mexico and get vitamin B injections? And I said, oh, I could do that. And they said, oh, will you go down the chemotherapy and radiation method because you don't have any faith in God? And I said, oh, I could do that. I'm, I'm joking, you know. Some people do think that. If you take medical advice that somehow you haven't got faith, what a load of hooey. Anyway, um, but, and then the other alternative was to do nothing and trust God. But I have this overarching promise. I'll live and not die. So I knew I could do this and I'll live and not die. Or I could do this and I'll live and not die. Or I could do this and I'll live and not die. So the cancer was irrelevant. The process was irrelevant. The only relevance was the promise. But I had to grab it. Yeah. And we came in then on on uh, this particular yes. Father's Day. This Father's is after Day, your operation. You'd, you'd gotten to the stage, it was five, stage 5B yes, cancer. 5B, that's yes. like end end. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's ring everybody. Second, um, secondary tumors in the lungs, yes. cancer in the lymph nodes. Yes. They'd removed a huge big bowel tumor, yes. put in a bag, yeah. and then the bag didn't work. That's right. And nine days? 13. 13, 13. days so, later, so, uh, still not was, working. And the doctors working. were terrified. They, they were, uh, you're in agony. Yes. And they, they basically said, come and say goodbye. Mm. So we walked in and we saw you and um, you looked terrible. I did. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yes. And so we said, I said, James, you look terrible. Let's take a photo. <laughs> this is going to preach really well. So I remember mm. we took a photo. We did a happy dance. We celebrated. We mm. worshiped God. Yes. And we left because yes. you looked really bad. Yes. I think at that stage, I could only really stay awake for about 10 minutes. Yeah. So what happened the um, following night? So the following uh, night, um, I had had faith all the way through this process, by the way. And we're talking about a process of months and months and months. But on that particular night, uh, as Rochelle was leaving the hospital, I said to her, you know, am I actually going to live? You know, I wasn't sure. That first time, when the doctors didn't think I was going to live, that was one of the times that I, I let go of the promise in a way. I was like, okay, I don't know if I am going to live. And Rochelle went home and she woke up about one o'clock in the morning and she just commanded my bowel to begin working and, and for health to come back to me. And in that, in that evening, at about 12 o'clock at night, so I was what they call cytotoxic. So I had my own room because I was full of toxic poisons from the, uh, from the chemo. And uh, I was nearly dead. So they were meant to be doing ops, observations of me every hour. Well, from 12 o'clock till 8 o'clock the following morning, no one even came into my room. And I hadn't been on any kind of pain medication because you can't have pain medication when you have a bowel operation. Um, <laughs> and so about 12 o'clock... Uh, I woke up and there was the Lord standing at the end of the bed <laughs> and, um, and he was uh, looking at me and, and he was talking to me and uh, he started presenting a number of questions to me. They were odd questions. Um, as an example, I saw nine white dots in front of me, all identical, three, three, three dots. 
No distinguishing characteristics between these dots. All the same, nine dots. And he said, which one of these do you like? And I said, well, you know, funnily enough, I did know there was one I liked. They're all the same, but I went, oh, that one. And he just said, oh, I knew you'd love that one. And then he'd do something else and show some triangles. He'd say, oh, what do you think of these? And I go, oh, I quite like those. I knew you'd love those. And, and so we, this went for about an hour and a half. And um, at the end, and this is really important, he said to me, I'm happy with the choices that you've made. You see, sometimes when you're in that position where you're not sure where you're at or what you're going to do or where you're going to go or if you're going to make it, you start heaping stuff on yourself or mother, rather the enemy does. You know, you took a wrong turn. That's why that prophecy didn't come true. You, 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 you should have done that. You were led to do that and you didn't do it, you know? And so we start putting these bricks on ourselves but that stuff is not relevant. Our relationship with him is relevant. The, well, the work of the cross is relevant, you know? And, uh, and so <laughs> he said to me, I'm happy with the choices you made. So all those bricks just came off me immediately. And uh, so there were a series of other things that happened with, with the Holy Ghost, and it's a whole big thing. In the morning... Um, the glory was so thick in the room, I could barely move. And I had been able to be moving around, and, but I could reach my phone. And I reached my phone and I rang Rochelle about 8.30 and I said, he's beautiful. That's all I could say. He's beautiful. So then, <laughs> put down the phone. Surgeon comes in, doesn't bat an eyelid about the fact that no one has taken any observations of me overnight. Comes in. Gets his pen out, looks at me, prods me with his finger and goes, oh, it's working. <laughs> you know, so that was it. And like within days, I was out of hospital. So I'd gone from death to fully in life because I held on to the promise of God. And halfway through the evening, yes. you interrupted God as he was talking to you about things and showing yes. you things to, to come. Yeah. What was that all about? Okay, so there was a point where I said to him, um, Lord, you haven't mentioned my cancer. You were talking about that bit, right? I said to him, you haven't mentioned my cancer. I'm lying in hospital. You're in the room. You haven't mentioned my cancer. He, he said to me, oh, cancer's irrelevant. And I said, well, it might be irrelevant to you, but it's pretty relevant to me. <laughs> and um, he, just, he just went, shh. <laughs> anyway, and then... Uh, but, you know, like we go through things, but we are going to be delivered through things because the Word of God is true. You know, it comes down to who He is and what He said. That's so good. Thank you, James. Hallelujah. Now, five years later, James is completely cancer-free. Praise the Lord. But here's what I loved about it. Is that when he said, Lord, you haven't talked about cancer... God said, well, that's because cancer is irrelevant. You know, it's not that God doesn't care. In fact, the Bible says, all my tears you've stored in a bottle. There isn't a tear that you cry that he doesn't treasure and hold. There isn't a bit of pain you walk through that he doesn't want you to sow in faith so that he can give divine recompense. 
He knows, he understands our deepest longings, our greatest desires. He walks with us, he's our comforter. He is kind, he is loving. But you know what? He is trying to get you continually to put your face toward what is important. People have said, well, why aren't the prophets telling, why didn't the prophets tell us about how awful 2020 was gonna be? Because the prophets were telling you God wants to give you double for your trouble. He wants to bring you into divine acceleration. God wants to see people coming into his kingdom. And we think, well, that doesn't seem very relevant. Yet that is the purpose. God's not that interested in taking up all the oxygen, talking about what the enemy's doing, when he has a plan that will not be thwarted by whatever the enemy throws at us. So if you're wondering, you know, what's going on? Why aren't we hearing all the details about all the bad things? Well, that's because God isn't actually wanting you to get your focus on all the bad things. But instead, put your face like flint and determine in your heart, I would have lost heart had I not believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. No matter what comes, hallelujah, though Though the vision tarry, wait for it. The Lord tells us, I want you to put your faith and your hope in my character and who I am. And my desire is to cause all things to work together for your good. The mission, the purpose, the good works that I've laid up in advance for you to do, these are the things that I want you to put your eyes on. I want you to put your eyes on me, your hope, your future, your destiny. You know, I think about Jesus when he walked the earth. There was a lot going on. They were living under a Roman occupation. They were being horribly mistreated, overtaxed, really significant stuff. And Jesus spent very little time talking about it. Really frustrated some people. He just kept talking about eternal life. The kingdom, righteousness, peace, joy, miracles. I know the plans that I've got for you. I've laid up good works in advance for you to do. As I am, so are you in this world. The same works that I do and greater works you'll do. I said, but but what what about the Roman occupation, Jesus? Well, go and go and... Do some work, you'll catch a, a fish with a, a, a coin in its mouth, pay the taxes. All right, righteousness, peace, and joy. Come on, I'm gonna make you fishes of men. Why? Because God isn't interested in focusing on the turmoil that the enemy wants to stir up. God isn't interested in getting stirred up about all the drama. He's interested in you maintaining your course and not losing hope in the midst of a storm. God's desire for every one of us is for hope and for a future. He's wanting us to keep as our compass hope in God, for hope in him will not disappoint. The way we do that is by opening our mouth and saying of the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress. You are my God. In you I will trust. 
This is what I know. Thank you, Father. With long life, you'll satisfy me and show me a salvation. Thank you, Lord. You've not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Thank you, Lord. You heal all my diseases. Thank you, Lord. You are Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Thank you, Father. You provide all of my needs according to your riches and glory. You might be in a situation and you've lost your job and there's difficult things that have happened. God isn't saying, I don't care. He cares so deeply. But he is wanting to stir up in your heart a hope that begins to decree, Lord, though I might feel like I'm Joseph in a prison, I will let those promises go deep in my soul and I will hold them as my true north for you who have promised it will also do it. If it's not good, it's not the end. As you intentionally determine to do that, you will find your way out into the promises that God has for you. He wants everyone to walk in the fullness of the promise that he has for you. And the promise he has for you is that you would walk in righteousness, peace, and joy, that you would do the good works that he's laid up in advance for you to do, that you would walk joyfully, deeply, richly satisfied, knowing that you and him are fulfilling his purposes on the earth. It's available for every one of us. But we've got to make a decision not to be just tossed about in the waves, but to let our anchor go down. My hope is in God, and my compass is my hope in his faithfulness and his promise. Hope in him will not disappoint. In Jesus' name, amen.